Today we're in this movie called Ford versus Ferrari. Have you seen this movie? Yeah? Okay, most of you, some of you. If you haven't, I got good news for you. Unlike Jody and Josh, I will not ruin the movie for you because I love you. And it's got a surprise ending and you wanna see the movie. It's, a, it's not what you expect. We're gonna be in Galatians chapter one. So if you turn there with me, Galatians chapter one in your Bibles. In fact, while we're going to Galatians chapter one, why don't you stand with me at all of our locations? Because we're talking about this, this message today. Breaking free from the establishment. Breaking free from the establishment. Everybody say, the establishment. Breaking free from the establishment. What are we talking about? We're going to get there. Let's read Galatians chapter 1. Here's what it says, verse 6. And then we'll go in this message from verse uh, 11 onward. But verse 6 says, I am astonished that you were so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. For as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you have received, let him be accursed. Paul's not pulling punches in this text. He says, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. I want you to hear that last line again. If I was trying to serve man, I would not, or please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Sometimes to serve Christ, you have to not please men. Can I get a good amen right there? This is the reading of God's word. Let's pray together at all of our locations. Father, thank you that in this moment we have a chance to come into your presence and to receive your word. Thank you for the opportunity to hear from your voice. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, and help us as always to see Jesus. Him and him only. In his mighty name we pray and everybody said... Amen. God bless you. Have a seat at both of our campuses. Breaking free from the establishment, part three about the movies. Big announcement before we get into the message. This Tuesday is First Tuesday. If you were not at last First Tuesday, you missed it. The Holy Spirit moved in a powerful way. And I got a word for you this Tuesday, and I want you to come out and hear it. It's called Powers and Principalities. It's an important message I believe the Lord's given to me for the church, both campuses, Waters in Woonsocket and here in North Attleboro. Come here, 6 p.m. prayer, 7 p.m. worship, 7.30 word. You can come anytime after 6 p.m. But we encourage you to come on in for the prayer. Uh, anyway, that's First Tuesday. Now let's get into this message Ford versus Ferrari, breaking free from the establishment. Well, I didn't want to do this movie, to be honest with you. When we were, when we were planning our series, and we do this almost every year at the movies, uh, the first two were picked by the other preachers, and then the staff, uh, I kind of threw it out to them, and I said, guys, what do you think I should do? And they said, oh, Ford versus Ferrari. And the ironic thing was that I tried to watch this movie about three months ago with my wife, and we were sitting there watching it, and about halfway through the movie, we were like, this is boring. 
and, and I, just, I just couldn't connect. And so I just flipped it off, went back into the bedroom and slept. And I was like, that's it. Never going to watch that movie again. So anyway, they were trying to talk me into this movie. I said, nah, uh, I'm not interested. I tried to, I just boring. They said, no, give it another chance. Give it another chance. I said, nah, I'm not interested. Let's find something else. And I actually wanted to do the movie with Ben Affleck called The Way Back. How many of you have seen that movie? You should see that movie. But anyway, maybe next year. Anyway, they, they, they talked me into doing this movie because they came up with this idea. They said, Pastor, if you do this movie, we're going to get a Ferrari in the lobby. I said, okay, let's do this movie. How are we going to pay for the Ferrari? And thanks to your legacy offering contributions. Pastor's got a new car. Hallelujah. Hashtag pastor for prison. Praise Jesus. Amen, somebody. Just kidding about that. We're thankful we got somebody to loan us their Ferrari. And I tried to start it, and you got to punch a code in, and they can give it to me. So anyway... That's how it's going to roll in this house, I guess. But, but I want to talk about this movie because I was forced to watch it again. And I got to tell you if, you, if you, if you were like me and you were bored the first time you watched it, try it again. It's a great movie. Because when I watched it again, I was like, well, this is, amazing. this is an amazing movie. And, and the more you watch it, the more you fall in love with the characters and the storyline. And I want to start off by saying that it really shouldn't be called Ford versus Ferrari. In fact, it's the first blank that I want you to fill in in your notes. And if you're not taking notes, take notes. But it's the first blank I want you to fill in. I don't think it should be called Ford versus Ferrari. I think it should be called Ford versus Ford. Because if you've seen a movie, you will realize very quickly that Ferrari is the least of Ford's problems. The problem is Ford itself. The problem is Ford, which was started by a guy named Henry Ford. <laughs> Should have come out with that one much quicker, but nonetheless. Um, was started by a guy who broke free with a new idea on how to build a budgeted car for the American family. He was the Steve Jobs of his day. Getting a computer in everybody's house was Steve Jobs' idea. Getting a car in every driveway was Henry Ford's idea. He didn't invent the car. He invented what? The assembly line. And, and, and he invented a way of manufacturing a vehicle at a low cost so that the average American could afford a car. And to this day, how many of you are thankful for Ford? Praise God for that innovation, right? Well, he was innovative and he broke free and he established something new, but then he died and passed it on to his children. And then his, grandfather, his grandson is the owner or the, the, the CEO of the company by the time this movie, this, the time frame of this movie. <clears throat> and the ironic thing is that Ford, which had begun by an innovator, by somebody who decided to break free from the norm and the establishment, had itself become the establishment. What do I mean by the establishment? I have a definition in my notes, and I wanted to write it down so I wouldn't forget it. I want to say it the same old services long this weekend. What do I mean by the establishment? Here's what I mean. I mean that there's a system that has enjoyed some measure of success or a great measure of success so that it entrenches itself into patterns of behavior that become canonized into unspoken laws of the day. I hope that definition isn't too deep for you. What it means is you can become so successful, you become a victim of your own success. And you can't change. And you can't think differently. It's one of the things that I'm wrestling with in this church, because this church is, you know, successful, especially 
here in Massachusetts, not, a, not exactly the bastion of the Bible Belt, but successful with multiple campuses, a large building, many people. And sometimes it's hard to, 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 to think differently than the way that you've always done it because how you always did it got you here. And in your life, the same can be true. How you always did it got you to where you were. And if you're not careful, you become a prisoner of all that got you to where you are instead of thinking about what does God want you to do now? And I'm talking about the established forms and norms of our lives that hold us back from embracing doing something different, trying to challenge the status quo, stepping out in something we church people like to call faith and believing God for better days ahead than yesterday. Come on, somebody. Can I get a good amen? Ford had become the establishment. And here's the point that I want to make, point number one, and you notice, um, establishments are inevitable and everywhere. Establishments are inevitable and everywhere. 2020 has already created a huge establishment. I don't know if you're familiar with this establishment. It's called the COVID-19 establishment. How many remember what we were worrying about on this weekend of November in 2019? How many of you remember what we were worrying about then? Exactly. But this year we're worrying about everything. And there's a new established order of American society, of, of global society. We even have mantras that have slipped into our language, our, our lingo. And I'm going to start the mantras and you're going to finish them. And I want to just challenge you to show you how quickly the establishment of COVID-19 got created in 2020. Let me start the mantra. You finish the mantra. Okay, everybody with me? You participate too, one socket. I'll start the mantra. You finish the mantra. Ready? Um, Practice social. Yeah, these aren't hard. Wear your. Mm -hmm. Listen to the. <laughs> no, the science. That one was a little bit harder, but okay, whatever. <laughs> Listen to the science. You know, wear your social. Stay. Six feet apart. There's just one word and you had it, right? Six feet apart. So, so this is our established coach. And it just took, it just took 10 months. It's already here. It's like, and here's the thing. My fear is we'll never break out of it. There are some people you will stay at home watching me online because this has forever altered you. And what you don't realize is you've just become a victim of an established mindset that might hold you back from where God wants you to go. Establishments are everywhere. The New York Times ran an article about a Danish study that said masks might not be as effective as we thought they were. And guess what the title of the article was? I kid you not, this is the New York Times, this is why I don't listen to them. The title of the article is, a new study questions whether masks protect wearers, you need to wear them anyway. Really? We can't talk about this? <laughs> we can't just like have a conversation? How about this one? This is very relevant to your last week. No more than 10 people for Thanksgiving. Another establishment. My wife showed me something. She, she snapped a picture of it on television. They were announcing all the restrictions for Rhode Island. She snapped the picture. She said, to me, she said look at this. I said, what? 
the list was no loud music. Evidently, COVID jams. <laughs> no loud music, limit alcohol, and small gatherings only. I saw somebody tweeted the picture of that and said, you call it being COVID prepared, I call that growing up Baptist, hallelujah. <laughs> it's amazing how quickly established establishments get created. In our culture, beyond COVID, there's the politically correct establishment. Oh, you can't say that. Why? You'll know because you'll offend people. Who? Politically, is politically correct speech. This, this was a, the topic of a, of, an, of a novel in the early part of the last century called 1984. It was a fictional story of how government would run every part of your life. It was a fictional story written by George Orwell. Somebody at the Library of Congress took it off the fiction shelf and put it on the educational shelf. Come on, somebody. You know what I'm talking about? That's where we are right now. It's nonsense. Thought police. Controlling what you can and cannot say. I've heard, I, I, I don't know if you've heard of something called the First Amendment. The First Amendment is why I get to get up here and say all other religions are going to lead you to hell, but Jesus Christ is going to lead you to heaven. Hallelujah. That's not politically correct, but it's heavenly correct. There's the cancel culture. Offend, the cer offend certain people and they will cancel you. Or even better, they'll dig up something that you tweeted or posted 15 years ago and they will cancel your future because of that. Or you'll have to apologize to the group that you offend. This is an established culture. The woke establishment. Toe the line. Say the phrase. Chant the mantra, or we will outcast you. You will be marginalized. You do not fit into the culture. This is our country. This is our world. A world. What I'm trying to tell you is that establishments are everywhere and inevitable. Now let's, now let's stop picking on culture because Christians can create establishments. Churches can create establishments. Oh, we don't do that in this church. So, some people, I just said this comment about growing up Baptists. I remember I had a friend tell me that he went to a Baptist church and he raised his hand during worship and he was scolded afterwards. We don't do that in this church. Then you don't read the Bible, do you? <laughs> it says raise hands. Or, 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 or establishment of, of religious practice. No, you have to go to this certain church or you're not a Christian. Or you have to believe exactly as we believe. And then there's the, I call them personal spiritual establishments. Personal spiritual establishments. Fear can be an established culture of your life. Where you're just scared all the time. And you never take a step out because you're worried, nervous. You call it anxiety. The Bible simply calls it fear. And you never do anything. And you just hole up in your, in your safe space because you think, at least I'll be protected. But you're bored and isolated and your life's not moving forward. So then you move into depression and you give yourself another diagnosis. You were anxious, now you're depressed because you're not going anywhere. And before you know it, you're suicidal. And now, now you're a victim. And that's another establishment. Victimization. Everything around me is because, is, is why I am the way I am. That's a victimization mindset. It's blaming everyone else for your problems. And here's something that the politicians love to do. If we just change your society, your life will be better. 
But they forget to tell you that society is made up of what? People. And people are people. It doesn't matter if, if it's capitalism or socialism. If you want to change capitalism for socialism, you're just changing one group of people's ideas for another group of people's ideas. Both will fail people because both are made up of, guess what? People. people. Establishments are everywhere and inevitable. And this is our society. This is the human condition. This is a problem from the foundation of society. And the reason why I love Ford versus Ferrari is because it's about a guy. It's about, it's about two guys. Uh, Carol Shelby and Ken Miles who rock the establishment. They take on the established culture of Ford. This gargantuan beast of a corporation with, with, with multi-generational success behind them. And the movie opens up with the fact that Ford is losing younger dollars. Younger people are, are getting more engaged in, in European imports. And there's an upstart company called Ferrari that's winning the Le Mans, a 24-hour race in France, year after year after year. And Henry Ford Jr. looks to Lee Iacocca in the movie, and he says, what's your idea for changing this? And he says, we've got to go after the young people. We've got to follow the model of Ferrari, and we've got to outrace, and we've got to win and take them on. And, and their first initial plan is, let's buy them out. And if you know the movie at all, you know that they go to, to, to Italy to try to buy Ferrari. Ford wanted to buy Ferrari, and, and Ferrari parlayed Ford's offer into selling themselves to Fiat for a higher offer. And so now they're kind of up a creek, and they reach out to the last American winner of the Le Mans race, Carroll Shelby. And they bring him in, and they say, we want to beat Ferrari, and we think you're the man to help us do it. So Carol Shelby immediately goes to his best friend in racing, Ken Miles, and invites him out to a diner and they have a discussion about taking on the establishment. I love that scene because Ken Miles just lays it on thick. And then if you watch the movie, he goes on and he talks about that this, this company that you want to work with, uh, they don't have one lawyer. They don't have four lawyers. They have floors of lawyers. And they're all going to be interested in meeting you. And the only reason why they want to meet you is so that they can screw you over. <laughs> And it's really an amazing scene because he's telling him there's no way you're going to get Ford to change. There's no way you're going to upend the establishment. You say, Pastor, what does that have to do with Christianity? Because here's the thing. Here's the story about Christianity. Christianity was built on people willing to step up to the establishment and say no more. It was started with a guy named Abraham, Abram, in a, in a world of polytheism where there weren't one God or two gods, there were hundreds of gods. And there was one man whom one God called to start one nation to change the world. And he changed his name from Abram to Abraham saying, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to bless those who bless you and I'm going to curse those who curse you and I'm going to change the world through you. And then he had a grandson named Joseph who challenged the establishment of his brothers. 
He was betrayed and hated, but he became prince of Egypt and provided grain for the world. And then years later, those children of Abraham became slaves to another nation. That nation was called Egypt. And the second book of the Bible opens up with them crying out for deliverance from the establishment, amen? And the Bible says that, that Moses, who was part of the establishment, but was cast off by the establishment, is called by God to go back into the establishment, to march into the throne room of Pharaoh and say, let my people go. Establishment. I'm giving you notice, your time is up. And he led 600,000 Jews out of Egypt through the mighty hand of Almighty God. And then there was a guy named Joshua who, who challenged the establishment of the, of the fearful spies who went into the land of Israel and said, we couldn't do it, we can't do it. God will not let us have it. And Joshua said, no, we can if God is for us. And then he had a great grandson named David who stood up to another establishment named Goliath, an establishment of fear, and said to Goliath, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord God of Israel. And this day he's going to give you into my hands and all the world will know that there's a God in Israel. I came to preach. I don't know if you came to hear. He, he challenged the establishment and then he established Israel and then guess what? Israel became part of the establishment and then they became immoral and corrupt and then there was, then there was establishment challengers named Jeremiah and Isaiah and Ezekiel and they were hated but they got their names written. They got their books published by God. Come on, somebody. And then 400 years of silence and a corrupt religious system overtakes Israel. Some sided with the politicians of their day. Some taught that you had to go and live in the desert. And one man stepped up and challenged the establishment, and his name was John the Baptist. And he said, I'm here. I'm the last one that's going to tell you this. God's Messiah is on the way. Repent. And that, that's, that Messiah followed in his footsteps, and we know him as Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. And he stood toe-to-toe -to -toe with the establishment, not just of the religious establishment of Israel, but the establishment of Rome and the establishment of the Greek culture. And he stood there and he said, I am the truth. I am the way. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And they put him on a cross and they thought they had established him as dead. But three days later, he came out of that grave and said, the establishment of death is over. And then... There was a guy, he had to come back from heaven to win over. And that guy's name was Paul the Apostle. And Paul the Apostle's life was radically changed by Jesus Christ from this radical part of the establishment Jew into a sold out apostle of Jesus Christ. Road to Damascus, it's a, it's a phrase of our day. Road to Damascus moment, what are we talking about? We're talking about what happened to Paul, who was Saul. Hated what we believe, hated Jesus, hated this movement, and God res rescued him radically and changed his life. And he went all over the Roman world establishing churches. 
And he would preach Jesus and people would get saved because when you preach Jesus, people get saved. People get baptized. People get rooted and grounded in Christ. Then he'd move on to another city, preach Jesus. People get saved. He did this for his whole life after he got saved. And then he heard a story about some churches that he had established in the region of Galatia in the first century. And he writes this book to them. We, we letter, actually. We call it the book of Galatians, but it's a letter. And he wants to tell them, watch out that you don't become part of the establishment. Because God's going to lead you forward. And this world will do everything in its power to hold you back. Point number two, here's what, he's, here's what he says in the text. Breaking from, free from the establishment, God saves people from the establishment of religion. Religion becomes the establishment. There's no, there's no greater historical problem of establishment than, listen to this very carefully, than the establishment of powerful, organized religion. You think the world is your problem, Christian? No. Dead religion is. If there's one thing that has held people out of the gates of heaven, it has been the idea that you are saved through religious practice instead of the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what you have to preach about again and again and again, because we forget it. Paul's writing back to these churches that were starting to, they, were, they had been broken free from the establishment and now they're, they're going back to religious practice, to Judaism. And you know why? Because the culture accepted Judaism. Because the world had no problem with Judaism. Let me tell you something else. The world has no problem with dead religion. And neither does the devil. He's got no problem with you saying you believe in Jesus, but living like you don't. He's got no problem with you going through the motions, raising your hand, maybe even getting baptized, but then not selling out for the Lord Jesus Christ because you know he has got your eternity secured in heaven forever. The devil has no problem. Actually, he champions, he roots for it. Organized religion. And organized religion has done more harm than almost any other movement in society. This is why people still to this day will say, I don't trust organized religion. Well, Paul didn't come to preach organized religion. And I'm not here to preach organized religion. And what is church is not about organized religion. We're about the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're about telling you about the man who challenged religion and died at the hands of dead religion. And ultimately rose again to condemn dead religion and bring us life in the spirit. So Paul says in Galatians 1.11, he says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached to me is not man's gospel. I love that. This is not man's idea. People didn't tell me this. Look what he says. He says, he says, verse 12, I didn't receive it from a man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through, big word here, everybody say it, Revelation of who? 
Jesus Christ. He says, listen, I, I didn't do this. Paul the Apostle says, this isn't my deal. This isn't, I'm not getting this from somebody else. Jesus did this. I had a revelation of him. Now, I just want to make sure that you're aware of the, 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 the foundations of this message. Write this down. The establishment in Paul's day was the Judaizers, which preached a salvation by works. The salvation of good personism. The salvation where, wherein if you do enough and obey God enough and follow the laws enough and obey the rules enough, you will get to heaven. <laughs> That's dead religion. That's what theologians like me, we call that works righteousness. And I'm going to unpack for you in a minute about how this is the oldest religion in human history. But at first, back to the text, verse 13. He says, for you have heard of my former life in Judaism. Whoa, wait, wait, Paul, what? Yeah, I was part of the establishment. And he goes like this. He says, how I persecuted the church of God and violently tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Paul says, I... I didn't just know the establishment. I was the establishment. Keep reading verse 15. He says, but when he, and, and if you got paper notes, would you just circle but? Because God is the God of the butts. One T. <laughs> the butt moment. I was going this way, but God. But when he who had set me apart before I was born. I love that phrase. Because Paul wants to mince no words here. He says, listen, I didn't do this myself. This is something that happened before I was even here. God had his eye on me before I was even born. Christian, never base your salvation on what you do for God. But always base your salvation on what God did for you. He said he set me apart before I was born and called me by his grace. And then it says this, I was pleased. I'm sorry, he was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. And he says, I didn't consult with anyone. I'm just, I'm just trying to say, Paul said, I'm just trying to say, I'm not, I wasn't part of the establishment. I'm not part of the establishment. I'm, I'm addicted. I'm committed. I'm following one man. His name is Jesus. I'm not Republican. I'm not Democrat. I'm following Jesus. I'm not American. I'm not Latino. I'm not Asian. I'm following Jesus. It's not black church or white church. It's Jesus' church. It's not Catholic. It's not Protestant. It's not Baptist. It's not Pentecostal. It's Jesus' church. That's what I'm talking about here. Christ set me free, Paul says, from the establishment of religious practice. In modern terms, Paul got woke. <laughs> woke to the reality that religion doesn't save. And good works are never good enough. It's the oldest religion in the book. Salvation by works. He says, I didn't go up to Jerusalem 
I didn't go to those who were apostles before me. I went to the desert because I had to get along with God, talk to Jesus. The oldest religion in the book is good personism. Trying to fix yourself. I'll prove it to you. The Bible opens with perfection and we screwed it up. God created a perfect world for Adam and Eve. Said, I, I, want, I want you to do two things. I want you to make babies and not eat that. And they didn't make babies and they went and ate that. The scripture says that they saw that they were naked. Look with me, Genesis 3, 7. Their eyes were opened. And, and we miss something in this text. We always miss this. We remember the fact that their eyes were open. We, we remember the fact that they felt shame because we, we all feel shame. And, and, and they saw that they were naked. But then we skip over this line. Look at this line. So they sewed fig leaves together to what? Cover themselves. They wanted to fix it. Oh, how we do the same. Because we're all in Adam when we're born. Scripture says that in Romans 5. We're all in Adam. He is our federal head. We are messed up from birth. Why? Because he messed up in the garden. And so we're born trying to cover up what we know isn't right. And we'll do anything to do this. We'll, we'll, we'll turn to friends to validate us and to make us feel worth something. That's what we do when we're young. Then we get into our 20s or our 30s and we start to make money. We say, well, maybe that's it. Career and, and success, that's gonna cover up this shame. I know that I'm not really good enough, so let me get a good career. Let me have a lot of money. Let me make money in the stock market. Let me have a 401k. Let me have a big house. That will make me feel like I'm okay. Or children. Or the perfect marriage. Let me portray to the culture that my marriage is better than it really is because I can't let them know how messed up we really are. And that's what we're doing. We have been doing this since the Garden of Eden. We have been trying to sow fig leaves to cover up the fact that we know we're not good enough. Let me get a hot body. Let me pump some iron. Get a new haircut. Any number of things to make others think that we're better than we really are. And we most assuredly do this with religion. Let me be a good person. So that I can look down my nose at all the other bad people. You ever notice that when it comes to money, we're always comparing ourselves to people who have more than us. But when it comes to goodness and morality, we're always comparing ourselves to those who are worse than us. And maybe that's because we always feel we're so morally superior, we deserve more money. This is works righteousness. And all of us probably could get up here and attest to the fact that it doesn't fix us. It's never enough. The reason why it's never enough is because your soul is eternal. You are an eternal being. And you cannot satisfy an eternal soul with temporal stuff. It just doesn't fit. It's never satisfying. You need Christ. Christ in you. 
That's why we have to identify Christ as the eternal God from eternity past to eternity future. He's the, he's the God-man. And when he comes into our lives, he alone has the capacity in his eternality to fix us and heal us of that emptiness that we feel in our souls. And that's what Paul's saying. God sets people free from the establishment of religious works. Number three, here's the problem. We see this in the movie again and again. That we often drift back into the establishment of religious performance. So we get saved, but then we get pulled back into religious performance. We do this as Christians. We, we believe that God saves us, but then it's our job to finish the job. And so if we're having, and you all do this, we all play this game. If you're having a good day as a Christian, you know a Christian good day, you know where that one is, right? That's where you don't curse out the lady at Dunkin' Donuts. You know what I'm saying? That's where you feel like you didn't do anything so bad and you're doing pretty good and God must be really pleased with you and so now you feel like you deserve something. That's where this stuff comes from. Oh, but if you have a bad day, those can even, those can even be worse because you feel like you're, you're a nobody, you're a loser, you deserve hell and so you never pray because God doesn't want to hear you anymore because you've been such a bad person. This is the game of religion. This is the game of trying to appease the gods. This is what our ancestors were doing when they were sacrificing their children on the altar to their God. What can I give to make sure the deity is pleased with me? And the gospel breaks all that because the gospel says, no, it's not about what you can give to God. It's about what God has given to you, his precious son, Jesus Christ. That breaks you free from performance. It breaks you free from the burden of the pressure of trying to fit or, or, or measure up to God's expectation. It is not we climb the mountain to get to God. It is God came down to get us. So Paul is talking about this in Galatians chapter 2, and he says, you know, I actually met somebody, you're not going to believe it, who actually was saved, who actually walked with Jesus, and guess what? He actually drifted back into works righteousness. You know who did it? You'll never guess. Peter. So Peter had a bad moment. Look what he says in Galatians chapter 2, 11. He says, but when Peter, Cephas is his Greek name, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. What? This is Peter upon this rock, I'll build my church. This is Peter, the day of Pentecost preacher. This is Peter who actually wrote first and second Peter. Yeah, he drifted back himself. Look what happened. Verse 12, for certain men came from James. He was eating with the Gentiles before they came. The Gentiles were non-Jews and according to the law, the religious law, Jews did not associate with Gentiles. But Jesus changed all that and broke those rules and, and, and nullified those rules so that Jews could hang with Gentiles and share the good news of Jesus. But Peter sees his friends, his boys from James's church in Jerusalem, and they come and they're there and suddenly he draws back. When they came, the Bible says he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party, the religious people, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Paul says, listen, it's easy to slide back into religious practices. I know this is true because even Peter did. Another sign that you're and another sign that you're roped into religious performances is groupism. 
Groupism is when you, you only hang with your group because that group's bad, your group's good. That's what our country's going through right now. And it's hard to break free from that. Because we want our group to affirm what we believe because we're right. And it's hard to cross over and talk to someone who's not like us, which is, which is anathema to the gospel because God in Jesus, who was nothing like us, crossed over and came and met us. So we, we, we want to break free from this, this mindset of do-goodism. We want to break free from this mindset of I'm only as good as my good works are. And, and if I'm a good person, then God loves me. But if I had a bad day, God hates me. We want to break free from that. But, but let's be honest, we get pulled back into this mindset, this up and down roller coaster ride of religious practice that provides us no peace and no rest. Maybe you're there. What's the answer? The answer is to trust the man who got you here in the first place. His name is Jesus. The same Jesus who saved you is the same Jesus who's gonna change you and the one who's gonna complete you and the one who's gonna make you what he wants you to be. You say, Pastor, I know it, but I'm, I'm, I'm still failing. Yes, I know, and he knows too, by the way. He's not shocked. But he's a good carpenter. He knows how to fix things. He knows how to build things. And he's patient. And he's kind. And he's good. Don't get drawn back into this religious mind. Well, this is what happens in Ford and first Ferrari. Because Ford Jr., they call him the deuce, he wants to go with Shelby, but he keeps getting drawn back into the corporate mindset of Leo Beebe. And there's this great moment where Shelby has to basically call him out on this. Trust the man, not the system. Got it? When Jesus says things in the law, he never lowers the standard, he raises it. In fact, he raises it so high, he raises it to the level we all can't achieve. In Matthew 5, 48, he says this, you therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Can you do that? I can't. Religion can't do it. There's one man who did it. His name is Jesus. And if you put your faith in him, you receive by faith his perfection. This is what religion can't do. Which brings me to point number four. We truly break free from religion when we get a revelation of what Jesus Christ has done for us. When we stop playing the good boy, bad boy, good girl, bad girl routine with God and we just give up and we say, God, you know I'll never be good enough, but I'm putting my faith in what your son did for me to bring me back to you. That's the gospel. That's what Paul was gripped by. That's what changed his life. This religious nut, this Pharisee, this zealot for religion, if, if he was in our day, he'd be the strongest you know, Catholic you could imagine, the strongest Baptist preacher you could imagine. But Jesus changed all that. And he lost all of, his, all of his confidence in what he did for God because he realized how much God did for him in Jesus. And he says it like this in verse 15 
He says, we ourselves are Jews by birth, not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, underline that, religion, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And so we have also believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, being a good person, no one will be justified. Let me summarize that point that he's making. The establishment can't save you. Jesus can. You know what you need? You need a personal relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to surrender your life to him. And not join this religion called Christianity, but enter into a relationship with the Jesus of it. And he'll take you by the hand. And he'll, he'll give you a life-changing moment. And this brings me to the last scene. It's the best scene in the movie. I love this, this part. Because again, Leo Beebe keeps trying to bring Henry Ford back into the system, back into the corporate structure, back into the way we always do things. And, and Shelby comes up with an idea. He says, I'm going to put him in the race car, and I'm going to give him a test drive in what he paid me to do. When you have that experience, you know it. The tears in that man's eyes bring me to tears because I think about the power of the gospel to change people's lives. It's not something that you do. It's not something that somebody can do for you. It's something that happens to you. When you come to the end of yourselves, when you stop sewing fig leaves together, when you stop trying to fix what's wrong with you in your own ability, and you just say, yes, Lord, I give up and I surrender. Everything changes. And did you see Carol Shelby say, I'm willing to stake my life on this. That's what Paul said. In Acts chapter 20, verse 22, he said, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm constrained by the Spirit, and I don't know what's going to happen to me now, but I know the Holy Spirit tells me that in every city, imprisonment and afflictions await me. I'm going to suffer for this. I'm going to suffer for Jesus. But then he says in this next line, in verse 24, he says, but I don't count my life of any value or precious to myself, if only I may finish the race and complete the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. It's that powerful. It's worth giving my life for. It's worth giving up every other thing that I hold value because I have been changed by the power of God that has made everything new. At all of the locations, I want you to stand with me because I want to give you a chance to have this happen in your life right where you are.